Good morning. Good morning. We get started soon. How's everybody? Today, Misha, happy Hanukkah and a good Chodesh. Today's Rosh Chodesh. Don't forget to insert the Musaf in our prayers today. Okay. Um, that a little time. Let me let me try to get into my conference call. In my earlier class this morning, uh, we had a hard time getting into the conference calls. There were some problems with the line. 
But we, we, we persevered and we got through. Let's see what happens now. One second. Welcome and thank you for If you are the host, press star now. Please agree. Your input is invalid. Did I go you again? Six, four, four, zero. Okay, I'll try again. It sounds like you're invalid this morning, Rabbi. Yeah, not, at least I'm not unstable. It's a better, that's a step up. It's a step. <laughs> it's an improvement. Please enter your pin. Your input is invalid. You go, Walt. It took me three times last time. Let's see if three is a charm. One second. second i have another number i can try to call i want these people just give me one second i'll be right back Good morning. Good morning to you. <laughs> Good morning, Elka. Good morning, uh, everyone. Good morning, everyone. Yes. A good chodesh. A good chodesh. A good chodesh. Yes. A good chodesh and a happy Hanukkah. So when's this wonderful snow going to start? Eleven o'clock. Uh, uh, yes. On the dot. Yeah, that's what they okay, say. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm going to try one more time to get to, to, to my conference people. I uh, see what happens now. One more time. I'm going to try. Welcome and thank you for choosing free time. If you are the host, press stop now. Please enter your pin. Your input is invalid. You entered. <laughs> Four, okay. Four, You're invalid again. I've been invalidated. What do I do? Uh -oh. Don't take it all personally. These, all these don't years. Take it personally. I'm, I do. I take it very personal. <laughs> uh, and I don't want people to stop learning Torah. So let's get started. I apologize to these people. Okay. I'll have to make it up to them. I'll, uh, I'll send out an email that I'll give another class. And one more time. <laughs> Okay, it's not working. Good morning, Mary. Good morning, Mary. Okay, everybody. 
Now, uh, did you all get the new PDF of our new uh, beginning discourse? I didn't morning? get it. Oh. No, 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 no. Check your spam. Hannah, check your spam. I sent it to everybody. Oh. I didn't discriminate. Okay. I will not invalidate anybody. <laughs> I got it. You got it? Okay. I sent it out to the email. If, and I know I put you on my list. So it goes to your spam. I got it. You got it, people got it. Otherwise, did you get it? Malka got it. You get it, Dr. Lowen? You got it? Okay. Hey, Tevis? Uh, sorry. Uh, yes. Hey, Tevis. That's right. Yes. Mm -hmm. So the Pusik that I want to discuss with you is the mime, a mimer from the Rebbe that he said in 1987, uh, which is not this week's Parsha. It's on next week's Parsha. But I think it'll be a few days before we finish this discourse as well. We'll go right, we'll be well into next week before we finish this mimer. It's, a, it's an amazing mimer. I think it's very fundamental, especially as we proceed from Hanukkah and take the message and energy with us. We don't, we don't celebrate our, ch our Chagim and holidays as beautiful nostalgic events of what was, but it's what is and what can and should continue to be with us. So the power of this energy of number eight, as we discussed in great detail in the previous mimer, has to become, as we said in that mimer, very much integrated into our personality through how we view life and how we relate to the context of our day-to-day -day routine of life. We celebrate for eight days, but the celebration continues in the context of our personalities, in the context of our perspectives and attitudes. So the partial we begin this week is by Yigash, a love Yehuda, that Yehuda approaches Joseph. Now, the fact that that actually even happens is something that bothers the Rebbe's. Why? Because Yehuda and Yosef are in the same room. Joseph has just made a tremendous claim against the youngest brother, Benjamin. He's going to arrest him lock him up because of the alleged stealing of his special cup. You know the details of that from this week's Parsha. But Yehuda and Joseph already are communicating. They're in the same room to communicate with each other. But the Torah wants to make a very special emphasis on the fact that by Yigash, a love Yehuda, Yehuda approaches Joseph. That approach, that coming near, that coming closer of Yehuda to Joseph is a powerful biblical statement of two different worlds, two different energies that doesn't just represent two brothers approaching each other. Each one comes from a different perspective, attitude, and context based upon the source of their souls. The Shorash of their neshamas in the heavens above represents their personalities down here. So Yehuda approaching Joseph is one world, which we'll discuss what that is, approaching the other world. Yehuda's world, Yehuda's identity, his neshama and what he expresses and represents coming together with Joseph and his world and his representation. Two different worlds. And there has to be the approach. There's got to be the coming together, the closest, the proximity of the two to try to unite these two very, very different worlds that we're going to discuss. Before we begin the actual text of the mimer, I can give you a couple of prefacing ideas of where we're going to be heading with this. Just to give you a, a, a brief synopsis so we can, if you come into the mimer, you'll see how it unfolds in the, in the term of this very fundamental concepts being taught to us in this discourse. There's a discussion in the Talmud about what is what, come, what came first, heaven or earth? The whole discussion among different authors of the Mishnah, did heaven come before earth? Did earth come before heaven? There's different opinions 
the rabbis argued about that, and then they say it happened simultaneously. We'll discuss more about that as we discuss this mimer as well. But this discussion between Yehuda and Yosef represents that argument in the Talmud of what is more paramount, or what actually is chronologically first, heaven or earth, and what's more important, what's the greater intent, the heavenly reality or the earthly reality. And the rabbis argue about that. Let me, let me share with you another argument in the Talmud. What's more important, study or deed? Study, learning, cognition, academic excellence, or the things you do in the physical mundane world. And there's an argument among the rabbis about that as well. Is it limud or maaseh, study or action? In that very context of trying to decipher heaven or earth, study or action, there's a very interesting pasuk in the prophets which reads the following, koros batenu arazim, which contrasts in the same contrast of heaven and earth, study indeed is a contrast between the Mishkan, the tabernacle that the Jews had while in the desert, as opposed to the Beit HaMikdash, the holy temple built in Jerusalem. The first two temples, as well as with God's help very soon, the third temple. That that same discussion of contrast between heaven and earth, study indeed, is very much evidenced in the actual buildings of the Mishkan the tabernacle versus the mikdash. Well, how so? Well, let's look, 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 let's look at the actual construction itself. The Mishkan was built in a way whereby the bottom of the Mishkan was the earth, the ground. The actual soil of the earth was the floor of the Mishkan. And then you went up higher, looking at the walls, you had plant life, cedar trees, vegetation, trees that grow that became the beams that actually were the structure, the edifice, of the walls of the Mishkan. Atop of the Mishkan were the skins of various animals. So you had here the different species on the top with the higher forms of life, the animal kingdom. Going down to the walls, you had the, uh, you had the plant kingdom, the cedar trees, and the bottom was the inanimate, the lowest levels. Then of course the person, the Kohanim inside the Mishkan itself performed the service. You had the combination of the domain, the Tzumech and the Chai, the inanimate, the plant, and the animal kingdom, and the person, the Kohen, the Medaber, the human being, with inside the Mishkan itself. You had what's referred to as the structure of creation. Right there in the building of the Mishkan, the coming together, the perfected state in the service of God, of the world as it's supposed to be in that context of the Mishkan. The simple reason why it was built with these items in such a way is because the Mishkan was a temporary sanctuary, and the Jewish people needed to travel through the desert with it. So every so often, they had to dismantle it and had to take it apart, then go on the next journey. There were 42 journeys of the Jews to go from Egypt to the Promised Land, so it had to be dismantled and taken apart. It was easy to remove the wooden beams and take off the skins of animals on top and move to the next place, the next location for the, for the, for the Mishkan to be once again constructed. As opposed to the Temple in Jerusalem, which is an everlasting eternal edifice, it was mainly made out of stone, not something easily dismantled, heaven forbid. It's a permanent structure, but it comes from the lowest form of God's creation, the inanimate. The whole temple construction was mainly made out of stone. Very few spots in the temple in Jerusalem were there wooden beams that were hidden from the naked eye. They were there in a way that just to perform some kind of a structural need as uh, in, in the terms of the different gateways had to have 
beneath the surface of the stones, some wooden structure, but the main edifice was stone, which represents a whole different reality, a reality of the inanimate as being not just paramount, but the sole arbiter of its existence. It's a stone temple, a building made out of stone as opposed to skins of animals, cedar trees, and the ground. These two contrast, this contrast between Mishkan and Mikdash, representing the context of the edifice of creation as it is in the terms of the higher parts, the skins of animals, the higher form of living, then the cedar trees, the plant, and then the bottom, the earth itself, represents that perspective of seeing things from the heaven's perspective. That which is higher is on top, skins of animals, the animal kingdom. Then you have the, the cedar trees, the plant kingdom, and the earth on the bottom, the floor itself. In the temple, even the floor is made out of shayish, of marble, stone as well. The entire thing is stone. So that represents the contrast between heaven and earth. How do you look at the paramount perspective or, or paradigm? What's paramount here? According to the Mishkan, the heavens, the things that are higher should be higher. The highest species on top, lowest species on the bottom. But in the temple, which represents heaven before earth, represents study, academic, trying to probe the abstract and go to the high reality of the unknown and try to bring it into your life, the study, the academic the knowledge and vision that you create by study. That's heaven first, earth is second. But that's the perspective of Mishkan versus Mikdash. But the temple in Jerusalem is all stone. It represents the purpose of it all is ultimately the inanimate being consecrated. It's the perspective of, like we spoke about before, earth as being the goal of creation. And therefore, the temple, which represents the epitomization of the purpose of creation, the home for Hashem here in this world, in Jerusalem, which is not meant to be dismantled, is completely stone. The inanimate. The, the lifeless items of life, which seem to be so insignificant, represent ultimately the purpose of all of creation. Remember we talked about in the previous Mimer, Sof Ma'aseh, the Machshavat The last things that are done in creation represent the initial bond with God at the most quintessential state of God's essence. The stone, the inanimate, the unmovable, not the things that can be dismantled and moved and reconstructed again. The inanimate. That represents the paradigm that the Mikdash has a benefit over the, the Mishkan, the tabernacle, the earth over the heavens, deed over study. That represents the mundane context of human function of existence, representing the paramount purpose of all of creation. My friends, this is what Yehuda and Yosef represent, these two different worlds, these two different perspectives and attitudes of Yehuda from the word hoda'ah, which means submission, which means the actual deed of doing what we need to do, showing up, being there. Modeani, the submission, Yehuda, the level of complete dedication and selfless acts of life that represent sometimes the mundane, but it too represents the purpose of creation, the modeani, to find within the context of self the idea that it's not about me, it's about what I needed to be here in this world to perform a function of deed. We see one verse in last week's Parsha where Yehuda says, when the brothers want to uh, kill the, the Joseph, what does Yehuda say? Ma betza. What's the purpose of that? What's the function of that? We have to, so he comes up with the idea of selling him to the Egyptians. Not the best solution, but the words he says, ma betza. What's the purpose? What's the function? But the functions of life, the things that we do that are paramount. Yehuda's perspective. As opposed to Yosef, Yosef comes from the word hosafa, to add, 
to increase. That's what Yosef means. So that represents study. Learning never ends. There's always more to learn. Torah is infinite. The mind can probe in ad infinitum to try to learn more, to probe deeper into understanding something. It represents the heavenly perspective of infinite revelation, the splendor of the heavens, to grow in that reality. That's Yosef's world. Hosafa, to grow in a higher transcendent state of abstract context of life. As opposed to Yehuda, what do we need to do? Ma betza, how do we live in this world? The functions of deed, the temple versus the Mishkan, the earth versus the heavens, deed versus study. So this is Yehuda coming to Yosef. He's approaching him. There's got to be a meeting of these two minds, of these two souls, these two worlds, these two perspectives. And that's the message of the first words in the Parsha, by Yigash, a love Yehuda. So without any further ado, I've given you a brief synopsis of where we're going to try to go with this. But before I do that, I'm going to try the conference call one more time because uh, I'm a nice guy. I'm going to try to do it. If you are the host, now please enter your pit. Your input is invalid. You entered six, four, four. Okay, didn't work. I'm sorry. Okay, let's go, Viper. I really feel bad. Okay. Says the Rebbe, we just begin out the mimer. I think Don't feel bad. It's okay. Don't feel bad. Don't feel bad. Herschel, you <laughs> on the conference call? Nope, I'm here. I'm I'm on the internet. Did you get to, Did you try to drive the conference call and get in? Let the people. No, know. no. Sometimes I would call in and get the same response you got, and I would start over. and got in. I did it four or five times already. Yeah, you can't succeed. You, you want me to see if I can get in? And let, let the people know that if they can try to zoom it because I can't get into conference. Okay, okay. Let me see, okay, I'll see if I can get in. I'll try call my in. phone. Okay, page one sixty one. By Yigash, a love Yehuda. And Yehuda approaches Joseph. As I just described to you, the two worlds, the two contexts of their soul energies and the heavens coming together down here in that room in Joseph's palace. Hine, says the Rebbe, the theme of these, this, this approach of Yehuda to Yosef, he's not just approaching him, He's really trying to unite, to unite these two very different worlds, these different attitudes and perspectives of heaven and earth, Mishkan and Mikdash, study indeed. That's what's happening over here. To try to bring a, to forge a bond between these two very political concepts. Did you get in, Herschel? Yeah, I got, I got in. You know, for Anybody some reason, else there? Rabbi, yeah, Rabbi Lisbon couldn't get in, so go to the internet and use internet voice and you'll hear him. It's not working. He tried four times. More than four times. We, uh, I'm sorry. It's more, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm more than four times. But who's counting? You're having fun. So uh, anyway, he's online right now, and he tried numerous times. I'm a witness. So he said now, he's in front of me right now. Well, you know what? I have an idea. Hold it. Hold it. Hold it. Stay on. I'm going to put you on speaker. I'll put you on speaker. Hold on. Hold on. Okay. All right. Guys, can you hear me? I'm in. I just got in. I just got in. Oh, hold it, hold it. He just got oh, good news, good news. I broke the ice. I got him in. 
You're afraid I of really it. apologize. I no, tried no, to think. No, I have a, I I have a think about 10 witnesses that I, that I, actually 12 witnesses that I try to get in at least five or six times. Anyways, I, until this point, I gave an introduction. So if I can ask you to, to, to mute your phones, you can please mute your phones now and I'll continue. I only, until this point, I was giving an introduction to the mimer. If you'd like, feel free to call me later and I'll be happy to repeat the introduction to you. I'm gonna start the text of the mimer itself right now. We're talking about the approach of Yehuda to Yosef and the need for the two of them, not only to be in the same room to communicate, but there's got to be the approach of Yehuda to Yosef because the two of them represent two very different worlds. The world of the abstract theoretical concept of study, heavenly, or the, the world of deed, action, the physical context of life. Yehuda represents the earthliness of the physicality, physical expression, whereas Yosef, Hosafa, growth, ad infinitum, the study, the abstract heavens, as it were. Let's continue, Vaitre. He says, the, Rebbe, the top line of the new mind, the theme of this discourse is the fact that Yehuda needs to approach Yosef. I know Yichud Yehuda v'Yosef. It doesn't just mean approaching. Ultimately, it means the unification. The two come together in singular unity. Then it says the Rebbe, it's not just the Parsha, which emphasizes to us the need of these two different worlds to approach and join in bond. The Haftorah also, with God's help, we're going to read in Shul on Shabbos. The Haftorah of the Parsha is Masupar, Shalah Ashid Lavo, it's a beautiful Haftorah, that in the world to come, uh, this Haftorah from the book of Ezekiel, chapter 36, that in the world to come, says Ezekiel, the Yeshne Eitzim, there are going to be two branches, two wooden branches. One's going to have the name Yehuda on one branch, and the other branch is going to say Ephraim, Ephraim, of course, one of Joseph's children. And the Pasuk says, the two of them are going to be there trying to identify their own supremacy, but then ultimately it's going, to get, it's going to have to be just one king. You can't have two kings, Yosef and Yehuda, or Joseph uh, or Ephraim and, and, and David. There's got to be one particular king, as the verse reads, the Avdi David Melech Alehem, that my servant David will be the king upon them. The David Avdi Nasi and my servant David will be a prince to them forever. So this represents the fact that there are two energies coming from very different perspectives. Each one wants to dominate. And then Haftarah says there are two different branches that represent their own identities. But ultimately, there only can be one king. And King David, my servant, shall be the supreme king. Ephraim, of course, is Iker Shifta Shal Yosef, the main tribe of Yosef, of course, of his two children, Ephraim and Manasseh, Ephraim is the dominant child, as it reads in the next Torah for reading, that his, his, uh, his younger brother, Ephraim, is going to become greater than Menasheh. He became the leader of his flag. He, he became the flagship of his group of tribes, Ephraim, which included the Shevet Menasheh, the older brother, as it says in the Torah, the Allah Mate Menasheh. And with Ephraim is Menashe, but Ephraim is supreme. So he represents the, the dominance of the Yosef perspective. He becomes the progenitor of Yosef's dreams and ideals. And David's from Shevet Yehuda. So the Torah talks about two different branches. And they're coming near each other. Like Yehuda coming to Yosef at the beginning of the Parsha. The Nipsis that comes out, says the Rabbi, 
that the theme of the Parsha is, of the Haftorah, represents the same theme as the beginning of the Parsha. The Chibur B'Yichud, Yosef Yehuda. The fact that these two energies, it's not just two people, each one represents a particular spiritual perspective based upon the, or, the origin of the souls in the heavens that they personify and embody down here. Yehuda coming close to Joseph and uniting with Joseph, like the two branches of Ephraim and David. Sheshnem, ultimately what's going to happen is, however, there's going to be one king. That Yosef is going to understand and appreciate the need for David's perspective, Yehuda's perspective. There can only be one ruler, one king, one perspective needs to dominate. It will be, of course, Yehuda's domination. As I said before, but the main, but we contrasted these two people and their energies with the Mishkan versus the Mikdash, the, the temporary tabernacle in the desert, which represented the context of heaven first and earth lower, as opposed to the temple in Jerusalem, made only of stone, the inanimate, entirely of stone, as opposed to the Mishkan had higher realities, species of animals, species of plant kingdoms, representing a different perspective. Ultimately, it's the temple in Jerusalem that stands forever. Says the Rebbe, this is important, my friend. The Torah is eternal. So therefore, the fact that we're talking about these concepts, says the Rebbe, I want to make a very important disclaimer. Make sure you know, this is not an abstract conversation. This is not something or nostalgic discussion about two brothers coming together or tribes having a meeting with each other and having ultimately a one particular monarch. No, the Torah is eternal. That in this conversation of Yehuda and Joseph approaching each other into bonding unity, there is an eternal message of what we need to take away from as we study this Parsha, as we go into a post Hanukkah mode of existence. Says the Rebbe, even though we're talking ultimately about how things will be in the world to come, Mashiach will come, but that isn't just a conversation of what will be. The fact that we're talking about it represents what we need to do now to get to that reality. We need to already begin instilling that perspective to open our eyes of the possibility of Yehud and Yosef energies, how we can make them part of our energies and come to the conclusion that Yehud becomes the Melech. This is something that informs our lives today before Mashiach even comes. Surely even the future should become present in your life today, how much more so the past of Yehuda coming to Yosef. It wasn't just about what happened, it's about how that becomes a message for me today as well. If the future redemption of the Jewish people represents a message for us how we live today, surely what happened to us in our past surely should be an important point of our history that informs our lives today as well, says the Rebbe. And even and since, the Torah entire purpose was to be a message to Jewish people. It becomes a message of life, messages of information of how we're supposed to live our lives. As the Torah itself says, what am I all about? Tzavis b'nei Yisrael, command the Jewish people. Dabra b'nei Yisrael, speak to the Jewish people. It's all about not the Torah itself and its pristine abstract state. It's about the message in the words. Look at the word. The Torah says, speak to the Jewish people, command the Jewish people, instruct the Jewish people. So clearly, these stories that we study are not stories that just inspire. These stories have to become invested into our Jewish psyche of how we behave 
as Jewish people as we started these parshas. Moving comes out, it's understandable, Dr. Rebbe. The message that we all walk away from of Yehuda Yosef energies and the approach and the unification of these two very different energies. And the Eroho Be'ikr in Yisrael. And then that message becomes a major theme of our lives. I was created to serve my master. How do I do so? We'll open up the books, read the Torah. Here's God speaking to us what you need to do to continue this message of the continuity of Jewish, of, of Judaism, Yiddishkeit, Torah and mitzvahs. So what, how do we understand that? Let's go right away to chapter, in the next paragraph, on page 161. This is the major context of conversation about these two very different perspectives and attitudes of Yehuda versus Yosef, heaven, earth, study, deed, the Mishkan versus the Mikdash. Let's continue. Discussed in many of the Maimorim from my forebearers, the previous Rebbe's. The Rebbe said this Maimor in 1987. That Yehuda and Yosef, as I told you before, personified, they embody the contrast or distinction between study versus deed. Because, says the Rebbe, there's a machlegas in the Gemara. The, 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 the Gemara in the Sechta Kiddushin, the Tractic Kiddushin says, if it could be Gemara, Itamad Gadol, Oymaisa Gadol. What is paramount? Studying or deed? What's the means and what's the end? What's the ultimate purpose? The Gemara has a whole discussion about that. Yehuda, Gavabe'echav, ultimately, Yehuda, of course, becomes the king. He overrules, he rules over his brothers, the other tribes. Huhamelech, he becomes the king. That his Indian Ikri is Livsek So when we come to the conclusion in the Haftarah that the servant David becomes the king upon all the Jewish people, well, that emphasis to us that in that Talmudic discussion, but what is paramount? Study your deed. When we talk about a king, what's the idea of a king? A king is someone who institutes decrees and edicts and he tells the people how they're supposed to live their lives. He may share information. He can help people study why he feels a certain way, but that's not what's on, that's not the paramount context of a monarchy. A monarchy issues rules, and we abide by those rules. As it says, King David is Evit, servant. It's about the deed in this world. Ultimately, the study is a means to an end. It's about taking that which you study and know and recognize that you have to have a king who tells you, this is what I need to do. This is where I need to be. I need to be there. I need to show up and make sure that my actions are consistent with the study. So the study is a means to an end. And that's why King David is called the Eved of it. He's a servant, a servant rel relative to the context of, of deed and action. So that's going to be the discussion of this minor about how we have to appreciate both the context of heaven and earth, study and deed, the mission and the Mikdash in the persons of Yosef and Yehuda. And how we get to that conclusion, of course, to be the beautiful discussion of this mimer of how we have to learn from each energy, internalize each individual energy, and make that part of our avodas Hashem as well, and come to the conclusion: what does it mean to be like the King David, Shevet Yehuda, the Moda Anilufanecha, the submission, the actions? I, I, this morning, I'll stop in just a moment. I had a whole discussion, my, my early morning Talmud class. So we had a beautiful discussion about the fact that. The rabbis were arguing, is there any efficacy in a person 
who pledges to give tzedakah, but he doesn't actually give the tzedakah. Isn't it something to say that he had a good feeling of devotion that he wanted to give, ended up not giving? You heard about the guy broke into the show and stole a million dollars worth of pledges? There's a lot of people, people make pledges and they, they want to donate, they want to devote themselves to give, but unless you actually give, you actually do the mitzvah, then everything remains abstract. And the Talmud has a whole discussion. What about someone just wants to emphasize that he wants to give and he pledges? Something happens that he couldn't, so it wasn't his fault, so forth and so on. The Talmud says, no, 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 no. There's no efficacy in the pledge. There's no efficiency in the pledge. It only happens once the actual deed is done. Until the deed is done in this world, it remains something super, superficial. It's abstract. Our world here is Yehuda approaches Joseph. They unite. Yehuda appreciates, acknowledges Yehuda Yosef's level of growth and study, but it's all a means to an end. The end is how we actually take that level of Hanukkah, the number eight, and internalize it, integrate it into our perspective of day-to-day -day behavior. We're just scratching the surface of this discussion with the Shem will continue with the Shem or tomorrow. So try to make a pledge to come back tomorrow. <laughs> same time, same station. I apologize to people in the conference, but I don't know what happened. I tried five or six times. I hope that it gets fixed by tomorrow. Thank you so Thank much. You. Thank you. Thank very you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We can all really enjoy this mime. It's a very good fundamental mime of Jewish approach to life itself. Thank you, Thank so you Rabbi Lisbon. Thank, Thank you so much. Thank you, Rabbi. Thank you, Rabbi. Thank you. Stay safe today. Real Hanukkah. Thank you very much. Thank you.